Acts chapter number 2, and we'll look at a few things together and ask the Lord to, to help us. Uh, we'll, I'll get you your handout, Lord willing, next week, but we're going to continue on with our uh, Baptist acrostic and dealing with the Baptist distinctives, and we'll look at a few things uh, together. And uh, I really do believe in my heart uh, that God led us to this Wednesday night study at this time in our church. And I'm excited what God is doing. And I'm excited, as I said to you, we've had people saved in Bible school and, and people were trying to follow up and people visiting. That's wonderful. Uh, but uh, there's nothing wrong in the midst of all that without still pausing and thinking for just a little while about what we believe and why we believe it. And tonight we're going to deal with this subject about a saved church membership. And you know, now I've been in town just uh, not quite a decade yet, almost nine years. It's hard to imagine. And every now and then, people that I've not seen, they say this to me. They say, well, I'm, I'm a member of Pleasant Beach Baptist Church. And I think to myself, well, it's been a decade and I ain't seen you. And then, uh, you know, and then they say, well, I, 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 then they, you start talking to them. And they say, well, I went there with my granny 25 years ago. Well, they're misunderstanding this concept. The concept of church membership is not just a formality, but it is really a relationship. Acts chapter number 2, you found your place there? And there are some formalities that we go through when we think about this. Uh, but one emphasis that you find is the idea that everybody in the New Testament who joined themselves together with the early church, they were saved and baptized people. And someone may come in here and say, oh, I want to be a part of your church. Let me say this to you. Anybody can attend our services. Anybody can walk in and attend a service, assuming there are no physical threat or no huge distraction. But as far as biblically speaking, anybody can come. But to actually be a part of the fellowship and the fellowship of believers, you find that they're saved and baptized. Acts chapter number 2, we'll spend some time there. So in a moment, I'm going to have you turn, but hold your place in Acts chapter number 2 because we're coming back there. But Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47, the Bible says this, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord, notice this, added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, there's two key things there that I want you to understand and uh, that you, I started to tell you to write in your notes that you don't have, but one of those is this, that the church existed. You know, you cannot add to something that doesn't already exist. Now, you know, we know the day of Pentecost is happening, and a lot of people say uh, the church started with, uh, on the day of Pentecost. I would say it a little differently. I would say the church started with Christ and his disciples and was empowered on the day of Pentecost. And you find that they followed the Lord's Supper, and they fellowshiped together, and they did those things that we would call a church. And, and so here on Acts chapter number 2, the, the Spirit of God is about to be poured out, but notice this, the Lord says this, he added to the church. So you know the church existed. The second thing you might know just by understanding that expression is it is something to be added to or to join. Now, I understand we're in American culture, and we'll talk in just a moment at the end of this little lesson about what that means and how is that practically carried out. But you'll find in the early New Testament church that they joined or they became a part of it. And the first thing on your note sheet you see is this, is the purity of the church. And I want you to make note of this. The church is made up of individuals who have been saved and follow the Lord's in believer's baptism. And someone asked me, someone asked me Sunday, said, I, I think we're going to join your church. And uh, I said, well, that's great. I'd sit down and talk about that. 
And one of the things that I ask, and many of you have been in here, and I, I say this to you, I said, well, tell me about when you got saved. And then uh, I can hear them talk just a little bit. And then I ask them this question, have you been baptized by immersion since you've been saved? And you think a little bit about it, so we understand some things about salvation, and we understand some things about doctrine. Now, the exact opposite of this view is what you find in the hereditary membership of the church, the Anglican Church, Church of England, and that is that you're baptized as a baby in the church, and you're a part of the church. But when you understand, and the Bible talks about in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 5 about being lively stones, about being a, a spiritual house, and you understand this, that unsaved people cannot truly be a part of the church. Now, they may attend. They may even really be on the church roll. <laughs> but biblically speaking, they're not really a part of the church because you cannot be lost and be a part of the church. Hold your place here in Acts chapter 2. I told you we're coming back there and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Now, I'm not mad at everybody and I'm not against everybody, but I, I watched a video the other day and, uh, of what something a church is doing, a church miles from here uh, that you wouldn't know. And, uh, and the guy in the video said, you know, we're trying to reach a certain crowd and they made this statement that said, we asked them what kind of church they wanted, and then we're trying to formulate a church to become that. Now, let me say this to you. I have no problem singing a new song. I have no problem with modern technology. I'm glad we had a little hiccup tonight with the microphone, but I'm glad I can walk around and talk and everybody can hear me. And I, I'm glad we can, uh, we can do some things, but the, the, the concept that we go to the world to find out what they want and the church creates that is the exact opposite. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel record, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, that he made man, therefore he knows what is in man. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? He knows the deepest, darkest needs that man has. And of course, that is to be a savior. And we find in the fellowship, I love this, in the fellowship of the local church, in the body of believers, you'll find what you need. The world's big on mentorship today. You know the world's big on mentorship today. You, you take these, those of you that are in business know that. They're like, oh, this mentorship and all that. Well, you know, well, it's pretty interesting. Jesus has been talking about that a long time. He called his disciples that they'd be with him. Then he sent them forth to preach. And then he told Titus, he said, get the older people, the aged people, to teach the younger people how to live and how to serve and how to raise their family. And, and that's a concept that you find in the church. So we find the fellowship. We find the mentorship. But the idea that we go to the world to find what they want is exactly exactly contrary to Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse number 14, the Bible says this, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father under you, and you shall be sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. I want you to understand this, that there is no hint of scriptural evidence of unbelievers being members and part of a local assembly. 
Now, I don't want to run anybody off. I want to be as nice to everybody as I can. I want everybody to be welcome here. But for us to try to be what they want is the exact opposite of what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we love them and we, we welcome them, but we preach the truth to them. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 is the concept and the great teaching on separation, and that is this, that there is a limit to our fellowship of believers with unbelievers. I went today, I'm sure I went in some store today, I can't remember where I went today, but, and I'm sure I talked to some people and had a business relationship, and maybe I bought something at a store, and that's one thing. But then to take that into here where we welcome them in the sense of letting them stay what they are. See, God's answer for the unbeliever being a part of the church is this, that they become believers, and they become saved. And they, they actually get saved and they get baptized and God begins to change and God begins to work. And I understand this. Please don't miss this. Salvation is instantaneous. For by grace are you saved through faith. That, at that moment of faith, the justification happens and, and Christ's record is put on my account and I'm sealed under the day of redemption. But let me say this to you. Sanctification is a life's work. Romans chapter number six says this, that we're not to yield our members to, as instruments of unrighteousness, that we don't continue in sin, that grace would abound. He said, no, God forbid. And he makes this statement, said, for whoever you yield to, that's who servants are. I'm not talking about people who are not quite as sanctified as they should be or, or maybe not quite there spiritually. What the Bible's talking about here is those that are lost being welcomed into the family of God. Everybody that comes to join our church, I ask them that question. I'm like, well, when were you saved? When do you know you trusted Christ as your Savior? Now, I don't know in their heart whether they are. I have to take them at their word. That's a relationship question that they answer. But when someone answers this question, say, well, I was here, I was there, I've been there, I've done that, that's not the question. The question is, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And then you begin to move on. So you find here the idea, the purity of the church is this concept that it is made up of individuals who've been saved and then they follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And by the way, we talked about that a few weeks ago about a believer's baptism and you understand that. Now let me give you a second thing and that is this, the pattern of the New Testament church. Now I told you to hold your place in Acts chapter number 2 because we're coming back there. Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, you see some things progress. And, I, and I, we'll talk about this just a little bit about modern, the world we live in versus the world they live in. And I understand some of that things and, and how we try to carry out this principle. But in Acts chapter number 2, in verse number 41, the Bible says this, that uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they received the gospel, they received uh, the salvation, and then the Bible says this, they were baptized. And then the Bible, notice this, says they were added to the church. And so before they became a part of the church, you have salvation and you have baptism. Now here in our church, when you get baptized, you become a member of this church. And so when you see someone get baptized, uh, they become a member by baptism. We'll talk about that in just a moment. That's one of the ways that you can join. But you find the order here. They, and then the Bible says this, that it does not stop there. Of course, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and breaking of bread. And they continue with gladness. And then the Bible goes on, as we read in verse number 47, that the Lord continued to add. 
And so when we think about adding to the church, we're adding in the same way. Now, look, we, we, we have people saved, and I believe every saved person will go to uh, heaven and, and be a part of the bride of Christ. That's wonderful. But as far as becoming a part of this local church, you find that order there. Acts chapter number 9, you find your place there, Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9, and that's where we happen to be in our series on Acts. And uh, it'll be a couple weeks, but we'll get back there, and I plan on preaching Acts chapter number 9. But I want you to notice just a couple of verses. In verse number 26, after Saul's conversion, we know he went and couldn't, didn't eat and sleep for three days and, and couldn't see, and Ananias welcomed him and, and taught him some more things, and he didn't eat or drink for three days and couldn't see. And then the Bible says that we're introduced to Barnabas in verse 26. It says, and notice this, please don't miss this. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. Now, the little word join there means this, to glue or to cement or to be accompanied or to be associated with. So he said when he came to Jerusalem, his desire, look, was to be a part of that group of believers. Of course, they had a little problem with him because this was the one that just a few days earlier was killing them. And of course, Barnabas, it says this, and they didn't believe him that he was a true follower, that he was a true disciple. Of course, Barnabas, in verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he'd seen the Lord in the way and, and that he had spoken to him and how he'd preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Christ. Notice this, and he was with them continuing in and going in and out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputing against the Grecians, and they went about to slay him. Now, please don't miss this. I believe this with all my heart. Everybody that gets saved is going to heaven. But everybody I read about in the New Testament, once they got saved, they started looking for a crowd to hang around with. And that crowd we call today a local church <laughs> They came. They wanted somebody to learn more from. They, they wanted somebody to labor beside of. Saul was now preaching in Damascus, and, and Barnabas said, no, he'd been working with us for a while, fellas. And you find that the desire was that they would join them. I, I'm, I'm afraid that today in Christianity we have the mistake of the long ranger mindset. Well, it's just me. I don't need that church. Well, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be arrogant. You do need a church. Jesus created the church for the people because he knew what their needs were. You say, I don't like you. We'll find another one. Because Jesus said you need one. And you find them, and I'm not trying to run anybody off, but I'm saying this to the mindset that to say the concept, well, I don't need the church. Well, then you have a better plan than God does. Because if you read that book right now, in this age we call the age of grace or the church age, that God is doing his work through the local assembly. You say, what's the local assembly made up? Look, it's made up of saved, baptized believers who are joining themselves together to carry out the great commission as they serve alongside and serve one another. But it begins with salvation. You can have a crowd, but that does not make it a church. We'll have a special event. Look, I'm thankful for the people. We, we had a lot of people visiting with us Sunday. I don't know about everybody's spiritual needs. I do know this. They heard the truth of the gospel. 
That's a decision. That's a personal decision they have to make. But the concept that someone's saying, well, I just want to get as many people here in the building as I can, get as many people in the as I can. I want to get as many people in the building as I can, but I want them to hear the truth and to know the truth. And our goal is not to gather a crowd, but our goal is to be the church that God has designed us to be. And we are continuing on in the apostles' doctrine. We want to see people saved. We want to see them baptized. We want to see them join themselves together as they continue on. Go back with me to Acts chapter number 4. I don't want to take the time because I'm going to in a few days, Lord willing, to preach Acts chapter number 9 and the difference that Barnabas made. Man, Barnabas, what an encourager. But Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 23. You know, they were telling Peter and John said, don't go preaching anymore. And, of course, that got them in a little bit of trouble. And then it says this in verse number 20, verse number 22 the the, uh, the the man that was healed says he was of 40 years old. And so you find the, the story goes on, but notice in verse number 22, it says this, and being let go, what happened as soon as the, the, they got released from custody? You say, well, it's real simple. They went to their own company and they reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them, and then the Bible says this, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is therein. And so you find the concept later on. We've already preached this chapter, but later on, the place that they are, they're gathered together and it's going to be shaken and they're praying in one accord. But what happened, look, what happened the, when the, Peter and John faced their trial? They didn't run from church, they ran to church, if I could say it that way. The Bible says this, look, they found their own company. Go with me to Acts chapter number 5. Uh, we've preached this a few weeks ago, but Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost, right? And God struck them dead. And so here you find in verse number 20, verse number uh, 11 says this, in great fear, Acts 5, 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all of one cord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no notice this, and the rest durst no man join himself unto them. But the people magnified. So here what happened. During this time of fear and this time of judgment that God had, the Bible says this, they weren't gathering a big crowd. They weren't people wanting to be, look, they, please don't miss this. There were people no longer wanting to be identified. <laughs> they weren't joining themselves now, the story goes on, we know, and the multitudes ended up coming and multitudes became following. But please don't miss this. There is an identity in the local church. I'm identified not just as a preacher, but I'm identified as a, as a pastor of Pleasant Beach Baptist Church. That's an identity. And when you come to a church like this, you're identified that way. I understand what people are saying. Look, and please don't miss this. I'm not in any competition of any church in this town or any other town. I don't answer to God for any other church. I try to stay out of the wars online that they're fussing and fighting about. Uh, and they're on there. I, I try to, I'm not interested in comparing myself with the church across town or the church up the street or the church up the holler. Doesn't, that, that's not it. My job and your job is to do what God has given us to do. And so when we continue on, look, but notice this, that they always found their crowd. 
And then notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I read to you a moment ago from 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, but I want you to go in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I read 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. But 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we don't talk much about this anymore. But it is in the Bible, and we are going to talk about it. <laughs> now, we said on the first night of our Bible study, when we started back on uh, Bible, Bible uh, Baptist Distinctives, we said that the Bible is our rule of faith and practice. So the Bible is our governing book. There's no Robert's Rules of Order or even our Constitution and Bylaw. None of that trumps this book, right? 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 9. He said, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. Now, what's the Bible word fornicator? That means those who are involved in sexual sin. He says, and ye not altogether with the fornicators of this world and with the covetous, nor the extortioners. Those are misusing people. He says, or the idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. He says, but I have written unto you not to keep company and if any man that is called a brother, be it a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner, with such a one not know not to eat. And for what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do you not judge them that are within? Notice this concept. Mark these two words in your Bible in verse number 12, the word within and the word without. Now here the Apostle Paul is answering questions and the church at Corinth, man, did they have some problems <laughs> and did they ask some doozies of questions that Paul answered to them. But he said this to them and I, I want you to write this in your heart and write this in your mind. There are times that fellowship has to be broken. There are times, the Bible says this, if they're going the way of drunkenness and fornicating and extortion and, and mistreating people and worshiping idols, look, that's not the crowd we're to hang out with. You say, Jesus was a friend of publican sinners. He was. But the Bible says here, if any man calls himself a brother and is continuing down that path where we're not even to eat with them. That's a pretty staggering statement. I told you just a minute ago, we don't talk much about that anymore. And I ask you this question to think about two things here. One is this thought within and without. Without is not our responsibility, but within, the Bible says this, that we are to judge those and we're to mark those and we're to avoid those. Verse number 13, he says, but them that are without, God judges. Says, what about the lost man that's doing? That's between them and God. He says, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, we don't do it much anymore in today's society. But churches used to. I remember, I've, I've, I've seen it one time in my, in, my, in my life, and I saw a man come, and he was on a church staff, and he'd messed up. And I remember, he, he brought before the church, and some of us knew more details than others, but he'd messed up, and, and he came, and the Bible says that, or not the Bible, he, he brought it before the church, and he, he made, uh, he was apologized and, and made a confession. Now, I wish I could say to you that everything worked out in that man's life. It didn't. But the church's responsibility is not between what that man does and the Lord. The church's responsibility is on how we treat him. And what the church's responsibility is, and I know this goes against the world, is we can't let just everything go on. Every now and then we have to say, now wait, 
I love you, I'll be nice to you, but you can't do that and do this. You can't be here and say this and, and, and to say that. You say, well, Brother Mark, who do you think you are? Are you, are you more pure than they are? No, but I do have a responsibility to keep the book pure and to keep the church pure. You say, that doesn't make you popular, but can I say this to you? Our responsibility is not to draw a crowd, but to be the church that God intended them to do. Now, there are principles in Matthew chapter number 18. You say, what do you do first of all? You go to them one-on-one. Say, look, hey, we got a little problem here. You need to straighten that out. Then we say, hey, there's... Um, some things here, and if that doesn't happen, you take two or three with you. Then the Bible says this in Matthew chapter number 18. If he neglect, if he hears you, you've won a brother. And you say, hallelujah, glory to God. And you go on. He said, but if he neglects to hear you, if he's going his own way, the Bible says this, tell it to the church. You say, why, preacher? Look at me. The church is the supreme court in the Christian's life. There's nowhere higher to take it on this earth. And I'm not talking about somebody messing up, but you know someone who is unrepentant and going the other way, every now and then you have to say no. Those are tough conversations. Those are conversations no preacher likes to have. Those are difficult days. Those are restless nights. Those are times you say, well, if I do what's right here, what's going to happen you know, I would like to make everybody happy. I would like to, and those are things, look, those are things that you deal with. And I say this to you, you say, what happens? I'll give you one principle on church discipline. You ready? I don't take a sin any further than the sin was committed in. You say, what do you mean by that? I've had family members, the people you know, they call me and say, hey, I did X and Y, whatever the situation is. And it's maybe a situation between a husband and wife or a father and a child, and that's where it is. But when someone has done something against the whole group and everybody knows about it, then look, I hate to say it, but those times, sometimes those things have to be dealt with with everybody knowing about it. And you say, man, that's a serious thing. It is a serious thing. It's a solemn thing. But let me say this to you. We get our pattern from the book. So the pattern, man, we like this pattern, and they that gladly received his word were baptized and they were added to the church, about 2,000 souls. You say, man, that's a good pattern. But, man, we don't like this pattern. If anybody's an extortioner or a drunkard and he calls himself a brethren and he's within the church, he says, you got to deal with it. But can I say this to you? The pattern's a pattern on the front end or the back end. And our responsibility, look, is to do what God has given us to do. Now, let me give you a third thing very quickly. I, I didn't intend to take that long there, but uh, as the Lord helps us. Now, let me give you the third thing, and I told you we'd get to it. That's the practical outgrowth. We'll say, preacher, what does that mean? You say, well, I understand. You've got to be saved and baptized and the purity of the church. The, well, let me say this to you. I've given this to you before, but uh, just make mental note that the local church is called a body in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, that we're baptized in the body of Christ and we're one body. The local church is called a household, Ephesians chapter number 2, a spiritual household. The local church is called a building, Ephesians chapter number 2. So the New Testament believers, they were in fellowship with a local assembly. A local church is a group of baptized believers who voluntarily join themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. 
You say, well, I thought we were the bride of Christ, and we are the bride of Christ, but can I say this to you? The local church is the visible expression of the bride of Christ. I'm so thankful. Look, I'm thankful for technology. I know we've got some people that are sick watching tonight. I'm glad we can do that. But the truth is, everybody needs a local assembly. That's the way God designed it. You find yourself in these letters, these New Testament letters, they were written to the saints at Colossae. You mean there was a group of people that got there? Some of those New Testament letters said this. You read them in your group and then send them on to another group to read. So you know what I understand in Scripture, that there was a group of people meeting together, reading those Scriptures and praying and taking up offerings and singing and, and testifying together. And you say, well, that's what we're trying to do is a group of people meet together and do those same things. So the practical outgrowth, someone says this, well, uh, how do we accept members? Number one, we accept members, and it's on the back of your bulletin every week, but we say we accept members by profession of faith and following the Lord in baptism. Now, technically, I'm going to give you a little technicality just so you understand this. We had 22 kids saved in baptism, uh, 22 kids saved in Bible school last week. Technically, none of those kids are a member of this church. <laughs> Now, they're a member of the family of God, and, and they've been baptized by His Spirit in the family of God if they truly trust Christ. But technically, they're not a member of this church until they're scripturally baptized. Does that make sense? So we accept them by faith and baptism as one step. And then number two, by transfer a letter from another Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church of like faith and practice. You say, well, what does that mean? That means a church that is preaching that salvation is full and free, and you don't have to add any works to it. That's as simple as I can make it. And so somebody may come from a church. It may have the title Baptist on it. It may have the title Bible on it. It may have the title Community on it. But if we can understand the doctrine of that church is what we believe about salvation, the deity of Christ. And so somebody may come from a different background. It happens every now and then. And they say, well, that wasn't the, really the doctrine I was a part of. And I really want to be a part of your church. And every now and then they get baptized. You say, why? So they're identified. Baptism identifies them with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also identifies them with this local assembly. And let me give you a third one. And that is by statement of faith. You say, what does that mean? Sometimes church records may not be available. And so they say, well, I know I have been saved and I know I have been scripturally baptized, but there's nobody to write to to get my letter, to transfer my letter here. You say, what do you do in that case? We come by statement, well, they come by statement of faith. Every now and then you get somebody that the church secretary doesn't do their job or the preacher gets sideways and, and they won't send somebody a letter. You say, are preachers that petty? If I told you as petty there, I could tell you story after story, but we ain't got time, we gotta be done. So what do you do? You accept them by their statement of faith and, and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you find a fourth one, and that is by restoration. That's the ones that have been, if you want to use the old Catholic term, excommunicated, or we use the term disciplined. If they've been disciplined, they're no longer a member of this church and no longer a part of it, and they come back to the Lord and repent and make things right with him and make things right with the church, look, then we welcome them back by restoration. And that's something that we're all... Let me say this to you. Discipline in a church, in a home, in wherever it is, should, restoration should always be the goal. I don't know about you, but it was, I didn't like whipping my kids. 
But whipping my children, my goal was for their submission to authority and their obedience. Punishment was never my goal. (laughs) I didn't like it. And can I say this to you? Something's wrong with you if you do like it. Restoration. If you see a brother, the Bible says, uh, Galatians 6, if you see a brother and overtaken a fault, you which are spiritual, says that. Then he says, consider thyself lest thou also be tempted. So restoring is always the goal. So as we go through things and you say, well, what are you doing about this? And what do you do about that? And what do you do about this? You know, there are people come and I'm glad people come. And over the course of these years that God has blessed here and, and in this, and what I'm teaching you is not a new doctrine. I, uh, there's a, I may have said something a little different, but this is the doctrine this church has held for years and years and years. That's what it means to be a Baptist church. It means that you have saved and baptized people who are members of your church. And so you find here the emphasis given in Scripture. Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what's the exciting thing to you? The exciting thing is, look, I get to be a part of what God is doing in this world. You say, what would you be doing if you weren't pastoring a church? I'd be trying my best to help somebody else pastor a church. Pastor Sexton said that all the time. I didn't fully understand it, but I think I do now. You say, what do you mean pastoring a church? It means leading and helping and loving and, and serving and trying to reach people with the gospel. And I'm thankful that we can be a part of a local assembly. I welcome anybody to a service. But when you welcome into a fellowship, that's another step. And when somebody says, I want to join our church, and I ask them, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Uh, at this point in this church's time, I, I don't like people to join the church that I don't talk to first. One-on-one, I like to sit down and talk to them just a little bit. You say, can you prove they're saved? No, but I can take their statement of faith and listen to them and talk to them. And so I challenge you with this thought that it's a privilege and a responsibility to be a part of a local assembly. Look, and the Bible says this, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So the Bible says we're not to forsake it. And when we come, the Bible says this, that we're to exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, You see the day approaching. It's getting worse, right? You say, well, what do you do? The Bible says exhort. Not not negative about the world, but exhorting one another. And the Bible also says this, that we're to provoke one another into love and good works. We're to draw out good things from people. I'm thankful. Look, I'm thankful for a local assembly of believers. I'm glad to be a part of a local church, aren't you? Let's bow together.